Welcome to MedTech Insights Monthly Digital Health Roundup, where we talk about recent highlights of our coverage of the emerging digital health space. I'm Managing Editor Marion Webb, and with me today are our UK-based reporter Barnaby Pickering, and from Washington, D.C., our regulatory reporter Hannah Daniel. Barnaby, let's start with you. This month, you spoke to AstraZeneca and one of its digital health partners, Yuma, about a platform they're working on together. Tell us more about that. Sure. So in 2022, early 2022, AstraZeneca purchased a £25 million stake in Huma while simultaneously selling it its Amaze digital health platform, for which AstraZeneca previously investigated its use in monitoring heart failure and asthma patients. In the one year since, the two have continued to work on the platform, which has now been fully absorbed into Huma's other offerings. I got to speak to Abby Stable, AstraZeneca's Director of Commercial Health, and the CEO of Huma, Dan Vardat, about the partnership, during which I asked them about the nature of the collaboration and where they believe digital health as a whole is headed. The interview itself was fairly candid, and both Stable and Vardat explained that while the partnership has not been free of challenges, it has been hugely beneficial for both parties. They agreed that large pharma companies simply lack the ability to truly innovate in the digital health space, and that by partnering with smaller, more focused companies that have prior experience in the digital space, pharma can reap all of the benefits with minimal additional cost. One point of note, however, is that Vardat was keen to highlight that digital products that are standalone will likely fall behind those that run alongside a drug. He reasoned this argument by stating that for many diseases, a molecule and its activity is fully necessary. You also covered two companies looking to listen into patients. What are they? Yes, so they're called Hyfe and Cordio Medical. Hyfe is working on a smartphone tool that listens to patients' coughs. From this, they hope to provide insights into worsening chronic conditions and also potentially act as a pandemic outbreak detection tool. Their CEO, Joe Brew, explained that right now patients may not truly see the utility of monitoring coughs, but he compared it to heart rate and step counting, both of which are technologies that took decades to become popular. The second company, Cordio Medical, hopes to listen in on patients' voices to detect heart failure. The company's CEO, Tamir Tao, likened the lungs to a car's engine. When they get congested, much like when a car engine fills with water, power is lost. Congestive heart failure typically leads to fluid buildup on the lungs. So by listening to a patient's voice, heart failure can be detected. Anyway, thanks for those questions, Marion. So, Marion, March was a big conference month for you. You attended the Mega Film and Music and now also Digital Health Conference South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, and also the LSI Conference in Dana Point, which is not far from San Diego, where you are based. What were some of the highlights? Yes, Barnaby, that's correct. There was a lot going on in March on the conference side, and it was great to attend South by Southwest, which I attended for the first time this year. The highlight for me was moderating a panel discussion on femtech with Brittany Barreto, who is the CEO of Fem Health Insights, Jennifer Fried, who leads the femtech fund at the VC firm Portfolio, and Kimberly Seals Ehlers, who is the founder of the Earth app. So we addressed multiple issues in femtech from the market landscape, emerging products, unmet clinical needs, and of course, the funding landscape. Last month, I actually profiled Dr. Brittany Beretta as part of my Getting Personal series, 
where we talked about her journey of becoming a women's health champion and her company Fem Health Insights. You also had an interview with Stefan Hahn, who was, of course, the former FDA commissioner. What can you tell us about his new role as a CEO of a private company? That's right, Barnaby. So Dr. Hahn actually happens to live in Austin, and um, he is now the CEO of Harbinger Health, which is developing a blood test for early detection of cancer. Of course, there are already several big companies in that space, such as Grail's Gallery Test and Exact Sciences Cancer Seek Test. But Dr. Hahn said that Harbinger's test is different from these competitors in several ways. Very importantly, he believes that it will be much more affordable than current tests, which costs around $1,000. He wants to bring that cost down to $150 per test, which, of course, would increase access a lot. He also said that the technology is based on a biological signature that can be detected in someone's genes. It can be detected very early for multiple cancers and with higher accuracy than existing tests. At least that's the goal. The blood test is currently being evaluated in clinical trials, so it still has a ways to go. And Dr. Hunt uh, hopes that results will be made available um, in 2024. That will be interesting to follow for sure. You already wrote a pretty long piece on some startups in the ophthalmology space, correct? Yes. So this article is actually based on some startup pitches that I uh, heard at the LSI Emerging MedTech Summit, which uh, we talked about earlier. It was the second conference that I attended in March. And this conference brings together startups and the investment community at the Posh Monarch Beach Resort in Dana Point every March. And this particular article that I wrote covers five companies that were presenting their innovative technologies in the space of glaucoma, corneal blindness, and macular degeneration. Another interesting panel that focused on the evolution of robotic surgery featured uh, Dr. Frederick Moll, who, of course, is often described as the father of robotic surgery. He's also the co-founder of Intuitive Surgical, which, of course, is the pioneer in surgical robotics. And he was joined by Dan- Daniel Hawkins, who was the first non-technical employee at Intuitive Surgical. And our listeners can read more about your interviews with all the startups and also your panel discussion on surgical robotics on our website at medtechinsight.com. Thanks for that, Marion. Yes, thank you, Barnaby, for the opportunity to highlight my conference coverage. So now over to you, Hannah, for some news on the regulatory side. As we know, digital health companies are constantly working to protect customer data, especially since they occasionally work with protected personal health information. So what can you tell us about the BetterHelp case concerning data privacy that was settled by the Federal Trade Commission last month? Thanks, Marion. So for the first time ever, the Federal Trade Commission ordered a company to return money to consumers as part of a breach in data privacy. The FTC ordered the online counseling platform BetterHelp to pay its customers $7.8 million. As a part of this order, there was also a proposal to, quote unquote, stop BetterHelp from sharing consumers' personal information with third parties for retargeting. And this includes people that hadn't even signed up for the service. So what makes this ruling significant, other than its first-time status, is the fact that digital health companies that collect personal information will have to start thinking more broadly about what constitutes personal health information. 
I got to speak to Hogan Lovell's partner, Scott Laughlin, about the situation, and he explained that BetterHelp came under fire for sharing customer data with third-party advertisers. And while the data itself wasn't identifiable, it could be traced back to an individual, making the sharing of that information a breach in data privacy. He told us that the Office of Civil Rights has previously articulated that the standards for processing sensitive information is higher with respect to healthcare data. And basically, it doesn't matter if a company doesn't disclose a name or address to a third party. By simply combining what we would consider less sensitive data, for instance, an email address, with data about the sites a person is visiting, like a counseling service, for instance, which can already tell a company about a person's potential mental health status, it can be considered an illegal sharing of personal health information. Thanks for that, Hannah. That's going to be really interesting to follow. Now, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has been hard at work implementing the cybersecurity reforms it laid out in the Omnibus Appropriations Bill passed in December. Can you talk about what enforcement of these reforms is going to look like? Yeah, absolutely. So as a part of the reforms, the FDA is requiring sponsors of new connected medical device companies to include software bills of materials and for AI and ML companies they need to include predetermined change control plans in their pre-market submissions. Software bills of materials, or SBOMs, are lists of all the software components included in a connected medical device, and predetermined change control plans, or PCCPs, are lists of changes a company plans to make post-market to keep their artificial intelligent and machine learning software up to date. Both of these reforms are intended to increase the cybersecurity of medical devices, and in the case of PCCPs, it helps to close the gap of time when a company identifies the need for something, like a software update, and when the change is approved by the FDA, which can take a while. PCCPs will also allow the FDA to okay these post-market changes during the submission process, which gives companies the go-ahead to make those changes as the need arises. But since these are relatively new requirements, the FDA said it won't issue refusal to accept decisions based solely on the information or lack thereof required by these new reforms. Instead, the FDA will work with companies to ensure their submissions are complete and provide some guidance to sponsors when necessary. However, this grace period only extends up until October 1st, 2023, so digital health manufacturers in particular need to make sure they're up to date on these regulations before that deadline. Great. Thanks, Hannah and Barnaby. You can read about all of these topics and more at medtechinsight.com. There you can also access all of our podcasts, including past editions of the Digital Health Roundup, and all of the podcasts from our sister publications like Pink, Script, HBW, and in vivo. Just click the podcast menu at the top of the homepage. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week.